Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. Today's episode is with my friend and returning guest, Steve Wright, and I really wanted to have a little bit more of a basic conversation with him about food intolerances and the gut. Now, I don't know about you, but being on an elimination diet was absolutely life-changing for me. It opened up my world immensely. But the thing about elimination diets is a lot of people don't want to stay on them forever. Now, I still lean heavily carnivore, but I enjoy having a little bit of variety from time to time. So wanting to have this deeper conversation about food intolerances and gut health, how the two are just intimately related, was something I've been wanting to talk with Steve about for a long time. And we've gone into a lot of other topics, histamines, allergies, different types of allergies, and all of those are going to be linked in the show notes for you on the full playlist that Steve and I have put together. So check that out if you want to hear more from Steve. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Steve is always really, really fun to talk to. This is a live stream that we did on Wednesday of this week. Today's is June the 18th. So this was done on the 15th. Anytime I do a live stream, I will try to do my best to get it out on the podcast for you guys to listen to because I know not everyone goes on my YouTube channel, goes on my Instagram. I have some people that just listen to the podcast and I really do, really do appreciate you. So thank you for being here. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please do head on over to Apple, leave me up to a five-star review for Spotify. It helps to get this podcast out to more people so they can hear this information and hopefully become self-healers, be a little bit less dependent on doctors and just this common medical information that's out there that may or may not be helping a lot of people. I'll leave that one (laughs) up to you. You know my opinion if you listen to the show often enough. And quickly, I just want to remind you guys, I am doing a hydration webinar on Sunday, June 26th. And the thing about hydration is it's not just about drinking enough water. In fact, if you drink too much water, you could be ruining your hydration status. So this is more of a quantum hydration webinar. We're gonna talk about all the things besides not drinking enough water, that's kind of an obvious one, that cause your body to be dehydrated, that cause you to constantly lose water. Because again, if it was a matter of getting the right chemicals in the body, many people would not be having issues with hydration that they are having. It is a huge, huge problem right now. And it's something I experienced and worked through myself. So check out that hydration webinar. If you're listening to this after the fact, that same link will allow you to purchase the replay of the webinar. It's going to be extremely informative. I have tons of other courses as well that I have worked very hard on. You can check those out in my course link. And thank you for listening. All of the products that we talk about today, Steve and I are linked in the show notes for you with a discount code that is good through June the 30th. And if for any reason the products do not work for you, you can get your money back. That's one of the things I really, really stand behind with Steve and his company is that all the products, if they don't work, you can send them back and get your money back for a full refund, which is not something I have seen any other company do before. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. I hope you have a beautiful day and I will talk with you again very soon. All right, everybody, welcome to our monthly chat here with my friend, Steve. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. 
Yeah. And uh, I was just talking before I turn on the camera. I figured, you know, we've talked about a lot of this stuff before, but I have a lot of new viewers. And as you mentioned, your talking points shift. You learn new things. We're always learning new things, especially about the gut. And so I figured we could kind of revisit uh, an old topic and just talk about, you know, food intolerances and overall gut health. Um, because I feel like a lot of times we're just, sometimes we get really food phobic. And I think that there, we'll talk about this. I think there's definitely some foods that we really should not put in our bodies, <laughs> like, <laughs> like seed oils and, you know, things like that. We probably should just not try to put those back in. But, you know, there are some foods I feel like that could offer health benefit for people that they may be continuing to avoid. So um, yeah. I guess before we kind of jump into that, if we could talk a little bit about your history with food intolerances and, and gut healing, just to review for anyone who doesn't know your story. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I started out just being super bloated and having alternating constipation, diarrhea, and like a lot of pain, visceral hypersensitivity. And it wasn't until I got like deeper into all this stuff that I realized it could be tied potentially to different foods. And I could like, I could journal because our, you know, in case you're not sure on this, you can look up like statistics on um, first person accounts for like uh, court systems. Like for instance, the Lincoln, when Lincoln was shot, there was 300 people in that theater. It was a very small theater compared to today's standards. None of the 300 people agreed on the events that happened. So our memory is terrible. It mm -hmm. honestly is. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't keep a food journal, if you don't keep a journal of what's happening in your life, you really are guessing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it wasn't until I actually started to keep a journal and realize that like, maybe I don't, I'm not so good at tracking things that I did. I really start to see a lot of correlations. And so I quickly realized that I had a problem digesting starches. So starches would cause me bloating. I had trouble with gluten and all the grains basically at the time. So I loved, you know, the multi-grain breads and, oh, yeah. and all of those things. I had trouble with legumes. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I was eating like PB and J's, and you know, just uh, <laughs> doing the single bachelor uh, young life thing. Um, and then um, I had a real issue with dairy. So mm. dairy was one that was like very acute. Yeah. Where as soon as I ate cheese or something, my whole face would like swell up, and I couldn't breathe through my nose. Mm. And so, but here's the kicker. Um, food sensitivities happen on a spectrum across your immune system. And some people mm -hmm. say it's IgE or it's IgG, all these things. Well, the, the truth is, is that we're making types of uh, antibodies to everything. And so some of those antibodies are cleared within, you know, a few hours. Some of them can take up to 72 hours. So if you eat, like, let's say you have a dairy intolerance or an egg intolerance and you have eggs on Monday no eggs on Tuesday, no eggs on Wednesday, you have eggs on Thursday, and then no eggs until Saturday, you could be swelled up or you could have blotchy skin or, you know, kind of like in and out brain fog all seven days of the week. Mm. And the one food that you're inconsistently eating, the eggs, which are considered safe or something like that, mm -hmm. um, could be the culprit that is contributing to that. But the symptoms are able to last almost three days. So up to 72 hours, but you wouldn't know that unless you kind of got really deep into nutrition and, and gut health, yeah. immune health. And also you were tracking it. 
and you eliminated mm-hmm. other foods trying to figure out, okay, at what point does this symptom, whatever it is, stop? And for me, it's, that's when I realized it was dairy. And I was actually eating the homemade yogurt for the specific mm. carbohydrate diet at that point in time. I was like making everything from scratch, everything from home. And I, you know, everybody said fermented yogurt, fermented foods at home were okay, but for yeah. me, they were not. Histamine, um, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could have been histamine. It could have been casein. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say it's low. Oh, it's your, your lactose intolerant. Well, like maybe, but there's right. proteins are the most immunogenic parts of a food and whey and casein protein are, you know, potentially what a lot of people are reacting to with dairy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to actually eliminate these foods, get sort of symptom free and then supplement with things so that I could tolerate them. So I had to use like HCL, I'd use enzymes. I had to, um, go on like multi, uh, multi-mineral supplements, multivitamins, like a whole host of hormone stuff until I was able to start reintroducing these foods. And now, I mean, I avoid, uh, I avoid two foods still to this day, which is basically grains, which I, you know, I have like maybe probably 98% grain free, um, yeah. throughout the entire year. Um, and then beer, the mm. yeast that's used in beer and some of the yeast strains that are used in like cheap, commercially uh, made U.S. wines still totally mess me up. Um, And so those are the two things I avoid to this day, but everything else I've been able to reverse and overcome and no longer exhibit those, those issues with those foods. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm somebody who had a major, major dairy issue myself. And anytime I would, I even made videos about it and then I got slammed, you know, people are like, oh, you should be able to eat dairy. You know, people, people have very strong opinions about things like this. And it's like, well, you haven't lived in my body, so you don't know. (laughs) But I was somebody who literally had to avoid dairy like the plague because I would have cheese and I'd get eczema, really bad eczema. And as a kid, I had it so bad it would like bleed up and down my arms and the backs of my knees. And so I just stayed away from it. But, you know, after working on my gut, some of the stuff that we'll talk about today, I mean, I actually been, I'm pregnant right now, so I'm not telling anyone to do this. I think... (laughs) I think it's good, you know, pregnant women should probably have a little bit more of these foods, but I drink raw milk every single day. Um, And I have been, you know, I've just hit the six month mark this Friday and I have been for months now and I have had zero issues drinking uh, raw milk at all. Um, You know, some people may not have that experience, but for me, I worked really hard to heal my gut and get my body to the place where I could tolerate these foods and I don't have those same reactions. So that really kind of got me thinking, you know, um, how much of the food intolerances that we're, we're dealing with, right. We do go the, on these elimination diets, we put these, you know, we're just like, this is on the no list. How much of that is actually because we have some sort of gut dysfunction and how much of that is that we need to just demonize Foods like, you know, like raw dairy, I think there's a ton of health benefits in having raw milk, um, you know, for, for a lot of people, not everyone, but, but for me, I've definitely seen a lot of benefits. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
on raw dairy? I mean, uh, raw dairy, raw dairy or just food intolerances in general and, and blaming, you know, blaming the food versus looking at the gut as, as possibly something we, that needs to be worked on. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm with you in that I have gone full circle. Like I went from mm -hmm. like food doesn't matter to evangelical, like very, very strict, mm -hmm. these certain diets, only these certain diets matter and it's the only way you can get healthy mm -hmm. to wait a minute maybe there's some gray zone here uh to kind of full circle like it's not the food's fault and um and there may be certain classes of foods for certain people that they will just never do very well with yeah. and if we look at the history of of mankind over the years that shouldn't surprise us right, right. there's been very healthy populations of people that subsist very heavily on starch like sweet potatoes and bananas are like most of their diet. And there's the Inuit who are just eating mostly meat. And there's mm -hmm. a whole range of, of other individuals. Um, and so for your genetic, for your lineage, for your epigenetics and where you live currently with your sun exposure, mm -hmm. there's probably certain foods that you're going to do better with yep. than other foods. And so figuring out individual tolerance is a big deal, but also just accepting that like, the less healthy you are, the less tolerant your body is of foods and mm -hmm. environmental toxins, like basically everything at that point. And yet yeah. at the less healthy you are, the more you crave crappier choices. You do. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's this like snowball. It's like this downward snowball where like you'll be more reactive to various foods. Like dairy may be a big issue to you, the less mm -hmm. healthy you are. Yeah. Um, but you'll crave it more. You'll mm -hmm. want it more, the less healthy you get. And so yeah. if we can build our gut health back up, if we can build our bodies back up, then you can make it a choice. Yeah. You know, I, I want it. I don't want it. I believe in A1 versus A2 milk. I believe in raw versus pasteurized or homogenized. Like that stuff matters to you or it doesn't matter to you. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that I want to advocate for is choice, that you're healthy enough resilient enough to have choice about these matters, but you're also aware of your own body enough that you can make the choice that aligns with whatever your values are. Sometimes we value social connection over health. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to eat mom's casserole that we know has got like, you know, <laughs> mayo and gluten pasta in it, but we're choosing social connection and love over health in that moment. And, and I'm, I'm I want people to have that opportunity and not have to run to the bathroom and have a horrible rest of their week. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and I think that there are some foods that's kind of later on the, um, the list, but I'm the same way. I'm not going to try to eat grains. Like my whole thing is like, if it didn't have a mother and it didn't grow out of the ground seasonally where I live, I don't really have any business eating it. Like we don't have bananas growing here. We don't have pineapples growing here. So you're not really going to find me eating those foods, you know, especially during the winter, like winter time, I'm not going to touch anything like that because it's confusing for your body. It's a confusing signal for your body, but to be able to tolerate something that's local from your environment, you know, and I'm not even, I'm not talking about grains or anything like that. Cause that's, I don't think that's something you could really naturally get. Um, you know, I think that people, if they have, if people have issues tolerating that kind of stuff, then, you know, maybe we should look further, look at the gut and see what's actually going on. Because like you said, I want people to have choices too, and not to have to 
you know, I want, if you want to be super evangelical about a certain diet, if that makes you feel good and you're happy with that, cool. But, you know, I don't know that that's the path everyone necessarily wants to be on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, I mean, when you're in a lot of pain, putting yourself in a glass box where you can't move much, but you're not in pain can feel really good and Mm -hmm. give you a lot of um, your life back, certainty, um, safety, all those things. And so doing these elimination diets will redemonize like, oh, plants are the animal or the enemy or grains are the enemy or whatever it is, is the enemy. I mean, there's, there are certain foods, like I saw an ad for margarine, like an old ad for margarine no. the other day on a TV <laughs> show. <laughs> so there are some foods like seed oils and margarine mm-hmm. and things like that, that are like, I don't, I don't, they don't have a place in my worldview of like, that's an okay food. That's pretty no. much a man-made contraption. Yeah. That's yeah. not going to be healthy, but beyond those foods, if we're talking about like, you know, stuff you can actually grow in nature and you can right. actually make, um, getting in that glass box, if it's carnivore, great, but right. you are stuck in that box and that mm-hmm. box comes with a lot of consequences socially. It may come with multi-mineral deficiency issues later on. It limits your choices. It limits your resilience. Should something happen, a natural disaster near your house, you have to go to a shelter or you have to, you know, you just don't have a lot of options. You're stuck in a glass box and that's the only way. Now, if society stays functioning normally, then great. But who knows in this, in this world. So my worldview has gone from like, I want to help people move out of pain into safety and certainty, but then I want them to go back out into the world and figure Mm -hmm. out how they can navigate their, their reality and their choices. And the way to do that, in my opinion, is to rebuild the gut functioning and sort of retrain the gut immune system to be able to tolerate these foods. Um, And then, like I said, you can make choices like, Hey, I love wheat. I love, I love pasta. I'm Italian and I don't care. Like, great, fine. You know, have your, have your wheat. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to be over your shoulder checking to see if you have acne or checking to see if you have bowel (laughs) movements or checking to see if you have rashes from your wheat choices. Like it's not my place, but I want you to know that that's a possibility and what to do if it happens. Right. Yeah. So if it's like something that you are at a family gathering or an event and you, I'm not, I don't, necessarily think it's good to eat those foods on a daily basis as part of your diet. That's my opinion. <laughs> I'm like, like I said, yeah. if it doesn't grow out of the ground or have a mother, it doesn't have a place on, on my, in my daily, um, you know, in what I eat in a day on a regular basis. But if you want to go, if you're Italian, you go to family function and you see all the food there and you're like, I'd like to have a little bit of this on one odd day, you know, out of a month, you don't want that decision to, wreck the whole next week, which is what I, which is what I feel can happen when you get yourself on this really clean type of a regimen, um, for some people. So that's, yeah, I, I agree with you. You want to have people to have that freedom and, and, you know, if you want to have that, then go back to, (laughs) go back to the real food, go back to the good stuff, but don't suffer for, for days on end. So, um, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in general, I would say meat, uh, definitely ancestrally speaking, dairy, eggs, and starchy, starchy tubers, and as well as whatever fruits and vegetables might grow in your area would be like your ideal diet. Like mm-hmm. that would be the, like if, you, if health is your number one value and you're just striving for that to the, and you don't care about the other things and your whole family's bought in, like that's what I would focus on. Yeah. That being said, 
if your gut is not functioning properly, you might not be able to do the dairy. Do Even if you had mm -hmm. a cow in the backyard and you were mm -hmm. milking that thing every day, mm -hmm. you might not have the capacity to, to tolerate chicken eggs. Right. Um, oh, I know a ton of people who can't do chicken eggs, can't do dairy. So, I mean, how do we, how do we address that? How do we help those people that are at that limited? So, I mean, I think there's five factors that go into, I mean, there's five main factors. There's obviously other people could have special circumstances and there's always special circumstances, but there's five main factors that I think if you focus on as an individual or a household, typically you can remove a lot of the sensitivities, if not all of them. And uh, the five factors are kind of just how your digestion works, but also how food interacts with your immune system and with your body. And so the first factor is stomach acid. Now we have studies at this point that suggest that the lower, or I mean, the higher your stomach acid, which we want it to be low, we want it to be functioning normally. And so if the pH goes up, if it gets higher, it means it's weaker. Um, mm. The more sensitized you can become to foods or environmental allergens. So there's just a few studies on that in, in mice as well as one in humans that are looking at this at this point. But the way that stomach acid biologically works, the way that it neutralizes any bugs that are on your food or in your food, the way that it opens up protein structures um, and other foods so that your enzymes can cut them up so that they're not misshapen. All of that suggests that it, science will catch up to this idea and continue to further this idea that stomach acid is a critical piece of this, this factor. Mm. The second part is what I just mentioned, which is the enzymes, because we can have a, uh, you know, most, most food sensitivities are related to um, one of two things. They're either related to protein structures or carbohydrate structures. Fat, typically if someone has a fat malabsorption issue, fat is a pretty basic compound and you can, you can supplement and you can kind of figure that out with your food choices. But carbohydrate structures and protein structures are very, like there's a huge swath of different options that you could put in your body. And so it makes those two the, the predominant ones for food sensitivities. So in order to get the protein and the carbohydrate structures chopped down to the point where your body recognizes them as not foe, but friend and nutrient to take them in, you need your enzymes to be working properly to kind of cut up these structures into really small pieces that you can then absorb. That's, that's sort of the second piece. Now, the third piece is histamine. You already mentioned this. Mm -hmm. Histamine is, I almost think of it like a hormone. I know it's not mm -hmm. classified that way, but we want just enough histamine, but not too much histamine. Mm -hmm. Histamine is really important to functioning healthy human. You need it to even make uh, stomach acid, for instance. But if you're ingesting food that immediately kicks off a histamine reaction, you're going to interpret that as a food sensitivity, whether or not it, it there's an immune component to it, whether or not there's a protein or a carbohydrate component to it. So histamine tolerance, like literally the ability to tolerate histamine is going to be very important to eliminating any sort of perceived food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. The next step will be uh, leaky gut. So they're, they're highly correlated between the two, but yeah. um, we've talked about leaky gut a few times. Actually, uh, your gut air thick cells 
and we need to have a bias between to protect those cells. And there's tight junctions, rubber bands that keep your gut cells together. And so we want the tight junctions strong. The rubber band needs to be tight like it's new. And you want a big mucus layer. If you lose either one of those, it makes it really easy for food to either um, harm your cells or mm -hmm. pass between your cells. And then this, there's this constant flow of, you know, it could be bacterial walls. It could be misshapen foods. It could be right-sized foods going into your bloodstream and then your immune system gets all pissy and does not like that and it will attack it. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to keep you alive. Um, and so leaky gut is another huge component. And the last one is that immune, immune tolerance. So that, mm -hmm. that interplay between the gut barrier and the immune system, we want an immune system that's smart, that's able to identify misshapen foods or, or badly digested foods, kill it and forget about it. Um, we want the inflammation to spike and then come back down. We won't, we don't want it to stay chronically, um, elevated. And so we need an immune system that's smart. That's not too, um, uh, reactive. Sort of, yeah. Reactive or, or counter reactive or anything like that. And so those are the five things that make up food sensitivities. And I know that, um, I feel like I'm always like the over, I'm the guy that makes things more complicated, but <laughs> I feel like all the other not all the other, but many influencers out there, many experts, many doctors are really trying to make this so simple that you can just, well, just, it's just this one thing. It's just leaky gut or it's just, right. it's just low stomach acid. It's just, yeah. It's the whole system at, a, at play, right? It's the whole right. house. Yeah. Like if you came to me and you were like, I have kidnapped, I've, I've kidnapped Shay. I've kidnapped your fiance. I will kill her <laughs> in, in 30 days. If you don't get me more, less food reactive you have to make it so that I don't react to these foods. Otherwise I'm going to kill your family. I would, I would start with this blueprint of these five things. I wouldn't be like, Oh, well you just need to, you know, like you said, you just need to take enzymes or you just have a leaky Probiotics gut. is the one that I usually hear people. Oh, I've, I've got all these gut problems. I'm going to start probiotics. I'm like, yeah, I would not start fermented <laughs> foods or probiotics if you have food sensitivities. In fact, I would stop them right away because yeah. they get in the way of figuring out which of these five things are broken for you. And they get in the way of you figuring out your food journal and what is actually happening for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what would symptomatically if somebody came to you and they were like, I've got, um, let's say they have just constipation, constant chronic constipation. And they're like, where do I start with that, that issue for my gut? What would you kind of do with them in that, in that situation? Well, chronic constipation, I don't, you know, there's probably some food sensitivities in there, but I don't know that there's like, I would attack that maybe slightly differently because I would try to get them having a bowel movement every single day. Mm -hmm. And then I would circle back to these five factors. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty and the, the sucky part about this is like, you're going to have to heal all five of these factors, whether you have constipation or just food sensitivities, mm -hmm. but with constipation, you do need to get rid of the, the poo inside of you basically, yeah. um, as soon as possible, you need to get on a regular cadence. And if it's, if it's really bad, like it's like you're straining and you're getting hemorrhoids or you you've had to use enemas, like there's a whole spectrum of constipation that goes from I'm annoyed. My pants don't fit. Oh my God. Or poor me to like people who are enema dependent, who have gone to the mm -hmm. hospital for impacted stools. And so it, it's hard to just you know, pick anything yeah, in there, broad, but the yeah. general thing, start 
start getting rid of your poop every day or every other day, and then slowly get less toxic and more holistic with your healing around how you're getting rid of that poop. Um, and then be working on these, these five things along the way. Yeah. There's a lot of people that say it's all right if you don't go every day. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I just can't get down with that. I still think that even if you're doing a carnivore diet, you still should be going to the bathroom every day because I, you know, if you're not, that's something you might want to look at is people are like, Oh, I'm going every like five days or something like that. I'm like, that is a recipe for estrogen dominance for just sluggish liver, like all kinds of stuff going on that you should look at besides just saying, Oh, it's normal. Cause I'm not eating a ton of fiber. You should still be going to the bathroom. Right. Yeah. There's actually studies that they did, um, you know, back before there was like all the, it was probably a good thing, but now I look back and think they way overdid it. Uh, mm -hmm. but like in the fifties and sixties, they used to do some like pretty intense studies on humans where they would lock them in like jail cells basically, or psych wards. And they would, um, because otherwise we're, we're liars. Like, look, our memory sucks. We're liars and we're going to do whatever we want. So we can't trust you to tell us what you're eating and not eating. So they would lock people and then they An would award. feed yeah. them. Yeah. They would feed, they'd put them in a ward. This is like the gold standard of nutrition research. And they would yeah. lock you in a ward, lock you in a cell. They're measuring everything that's coming in and out of the cell. They're measuring your poop. They're measuring the air. They're measuring everything. And they are feeding you on a tray exactly what you're supposed to eat. But they also did this for starvation during World War II mm -hmm. and some of the other things because, well, humans are also kind of mean to each other and we do terrible things. And so they want to know, like, how long can someone starve for? What happens? And so there are studies showing that people who are fasting, there's also studies done just for, for human health, There, you know, mm -hmm. because there's a lot to water fasting. There's mm -hmm. a long history of that in Eastern medicine for various ailments. Um, and so there's studies of people going like 30, 60 day fasts where they're verified not eating, like they're in a, mm -hmm. in a ward and they're still pooping. Oh, I did a seven day water fast and I was still going the whole time. I was like, at some point this will stop maybe, but it did, it did not stop the whole seven day water fast that I did. I was shocked. So, well, your bugs can, can generate waste from eating your mucus, from eating other bugs, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of ways that they can eat still, even if you're not eating. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So if that's not happening, then we need to, again, address those five things and start. Where would you start, though? Would you start with enzymatic function? Would you start with stomach acid or would you go to leaky gut? Like what, what would you what, what would would be the starting point for that? I mean, if I could lock people in a, in a ward <laughs> and make them do it my way, <laughs> I would start with, with that. The, yeah, I would start with the hardest thing first. Um, and, and that would be stomach acid. And I say it's hardest because it's the most nuanced and you mm. got to pay attention. Um, mm. and not everybody has it, which is why I want to know right away, does someone have low stomach acid or not? Because if you can eliminate this, like maybe you find out your stomach acid's fine. You don't actually need uh, an HCL guard or another betaine HCL supplement that actually simplifies the whole plan. Mm -hmm. Each one that we try that you don't need is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so I would actually start with the stomach. It's also at the top of the digestive chain. And so if everything below the stomach is struggling because of the stomach, just I'm a, you know, I'm in a, my, my, my training in, in school is electrical engineering. So I like to optimize. I like to overanalyze. And so optimizing wise, I would try to start at the stomach 
check for low stomach acid. Then I would introduce uh, enzymes and check for enzymatic function. Is there relief there? Um, meanwhile, I would be keeping a journal this whole time. What are you eating? What kind of portion sizes? Uh, looking for patterns. Like you have to review that journal every you know Saturday or Sunday or whatever. Look back at what you ate um, and look back about, you know, did you have bloating this day? Did you have a, a flushing the skin? Did you have brain fog? Did you, you know, like what are weird symptoms you might've correlated with these foods? Then I would move to, um, I'd probably move to the leaky gut uh, histamine connection. Start there with something like tributyrin X and then finish off with, with uh, the immune system and retraining the immune system. Once we've kind of removed foods, we've, we've sort of set the stage, the immune system can relax. It doesn't have a lot of offending agents. Now let's give it some support and try to help it relearn how to be in tolerance with the environment. And at that point, I would start to reintroduce foods again. So that, mm -hmm. so this whole cycle would maybe take like four weeks, four to six weeks, and you would start reintroducing foods as soon as you could at that point and start testing them. Got it. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, I guess for some people that are watching, maybe they have food sensitivities, but they don't really know that the symptoms that they're having are actually a food sensitivity symptom. Um, what, what would that look like? What, what are some obvious signs that you have them? What are some not so obvious signs that you have a food intolerance or a low stomach acid or something like that going on? Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, like obvious signs would be like you eat a food or you eat a meal and you, you, um, you have bloating right afterwards, you have heartburn, you have burping, um, these are obvious GI symptoms. Something's probably not going well down there. Um, the next layer would be non-GI related issues. So you might have, like I said, swelling of the sinuses. You may have flushing or blotching of the skin. Um, in, in really severe cases of histamine intolerance, you'll have tachycardia. You'll have full-on mm -hmm. hive reactions. Um, some people will be so brain fogged, they will need to go lay down for an hour or two after, after the meal. Um, Beyond that, sort of like low grade food sensitivities that people are kind of not tracking and not aware of, these are the, your, your sort of general bloating. They're your general eczema, rosacea, blotchy, rashy stuff that's happening. Um, or like I said, these nagging things that you're like, man, you know, my right shoulder hurts every, you know, every mm -hmm. Tuesday and sometimes on Saturdays. And it turns out like that's the day you're eating oatmeal with the kids or something. Yeah. Um, and so there are certain foods that cause inflammation for you that you're sort of reacting to, but if you're not tracking them and if you haven't really looked at nutrition about which foods might be inflammatory, which ones might not be, I don't know that you'll ever tease that out. Um, yeah. but, it, but it all has to actually start with food. <laughs> like yeah, at it some does. level. It does. Yeah. That's, that's the first step. You can't just keep eating your same diet and expect if you're sick, you can't keep eating the same things that you're eating that are contributing to the issues with your gut, you know? And it's funny, a friend of mine, he just eliminate, he's trying to eliminate caffeine. He just got rid of coffee and he realized he had a dark chocolate addiction as well. So what he first, he got rid of the, the coffee felt you know, a little bit better, but then he got rid of the dark chocolate and he was like, I didn't even realize I had jaw pain every day. And once I got rid of the chocolate, the chocolate, the dark chocolate, it wasn't even like milk chocolate. He's like, my jaw pain was totally gone. I'm like, yep, there you go. <laughs> Your body didn't like that. 
Right. And that's, and that actually highlights an important question that may be on the minds of some people watching this right now, mm. which is what about food sensitivity testing? Like, yes. What do you do? Oh yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. You know, and which company do you go with? Mm-hmm. And my answer is that if you are having these five issues or even a, some combo of the five, but especially leaky gut and, and sort of, uh, immune dysregulation, which is almost has to happen for you to have food sensitivities. Like it's, it's pretty much, pretty much you have to have a protein or a carbohydrate digestion issue. And you basically have to have leaky gut immune dysregulation. Like mm-hmm. that's how this works. That is the, that is the science, the physiology behind this. Even if you're on carnivore and you are all like, let's say your GI system's all jacked up. You do a test like this. You're going to come back positive for whatever you're eating. If you're eating yeah, beef. Exactly. I've beef. had that. That's why I'm like, I'm not a huge, I don't know about you. I'm just not a huge fan of doing a bunch of food sensitivity testing. Um, because it's, it's right. It comes back with what you're currently eating. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's valid, but I don't know how useful the test is. Right. Right. Because exactly. at some level you're going to be shown that what you're eating <laughs> you're you're reacting to it exactly um, and so there's experts and people out there like there's no way that you could ever show a, a reaction to chicken or beef and that's that a i've seen it with people i've seen their tests it, mm-hmm. I, I never had that kind of test but i've seen it and b it just makes sense and it and c it doesn't matter the protocol is still gonna be the same whether you mm-hmm. have two food tolerant intolerances or you have 40 mm-hmm. and so if you're going to spend 150 or 250 or $300 on a test, I'd rather you check for something else that like actually does change your protocol. It's like mm-hmm. a parasite testing or yeah. SIBO testing or hormone testing. Put that money to use where a good practitioner can be like, oh, okay, that's a root cause. We can address that. Otherwise, we would have mm-hmm. never known to do anything for you. And food sensitivity testing, we know the plan will always be eliminate the food introduce support and then retest in a little while. Like that's always the plan. There's no other, there's no other plans out there for it. Like it's that basic. Yeah. I mean, I did a food sensitivity test. It was a couple thousand dollars years ago. It's, it's been a long time ago and it showed it's, they were like, don't ever eat red meat. That's the worst thing. It's, it's high on your food sensitivity list. And I just kind you know, I wasn't eating a lot of red meat. I didn't eat a lot of red meat for years and my health actually got pretty crappy because I was just terrified of red meat. And then when I switched my diet to mostly red meat, my health like dramatically improved. And so that's one of the things that I was like, you know what, I'm not going to spend a lot of time and effort and money anymore on food sensitivity tests. I'm going to do more of like elimination and work on the root cause, work on what's going on with my gut. With me, I had low stomach acid. I had low enzymatic function. I, I don't really need to supplement with HCL anymore. I did for, I used HCL guard for probably about six months solid. And then I kind of weaned myself off and now I'm fine, completely fine without it. And a lot of pregnant women, they will con- like complain about heartburn and indigestion. I don't have any of that, you know? That's awesome. I've had no heartburn, no indigestion, nothing. I've been, I was nauseous the first trimester, but I don't think adding HCL would have helped that is because my body's building a placenta. So (laughs) it's it's doing a big job. Um, So I definitely think that working on those things, you, you, you can see a lot of improvement. And then that, you know, with the enzymes, I still do use those on occasion. Um, But it's not something I have to like, 
you know, rely on for every single meal. So, um, and like I said, I can, I can tolerate a lot of foods that, I mean, I couldn't even eat strawberries before. And uh, we had strawberry season not super long ago. And I had ate some strawberries with my homemade yogurt and it was freaking fabulous. I didn't get the redness all over my face or itchiness, any of that stuff that I used to get. And so, yeah, I really think that instead of demonizing strawberries, it's something that it grows locally seasonally here out of the ground or demonizing beef, which is what my, (laughs) my sensitivity test said, don't touch it. You know, there, there's things that we, don't need to necessarily mark off forever if we can get to the root cause of why we're getting, having issues with eating those foods, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that, that is the vision or the, the plan, the plan that hopefully your health practitioner has you on, which is yeah. you find the issue. You usually take it away for a couple of weeks, like six to eight weeks. You introduce interventions to help you with that issue, support with that issue. And then over the course of six to 12 months, some people can do it in two months. Some people it's six months, some people it's two years, but in the course of six to 12 months, which is the range, the normal range, usually you're going to go from, I got these weird issues and I'm having these nagging issues to I'm going through this plan to reintroducing those things, hopefully, Mm -hmm. and not having that same reaction or those same consequences from eating that food. That is, that is the hope for, for everyone, I think. Yeah. And and one of the questions I had, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Um, You know, I think elimination diets are really, really helpful. I mean, and I know you've been on them before. I've, I've been on them winter time. I lean a little bit more carnivore just, I mean, that's pretty much just because that's what's available in my latitude is more carnivore foods. And some days I'll just accidentally just eat carnivore the whole day. Not even, it just is like, it's easier that way. But occasionally I'll have, like I said, the strawberries, we had cherries not so long ago. I had, and I don't eat bushels of them. It's like, I have a little bit, it's like a little, it's like a condiment for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but my question is for you, someone who really understands gut health and has worked with a ton of people with gut issues, do you see an issue or do you see people that do elimination diets and then they become like overly sensitive if they do that elimination diet for too long. And then how would you address that if that is something that you see? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge problem in the sort of like the chronically chronic health condition world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's more of a niche issue to yeah. the chronic health condition world. Um, but we know from research on various diets, like the FODMAP diet, that around eight weeks, you start to lose butyrate function. You start to change the microbiome and cause dysbiosis. Um, we know that from other intervention studies, just even five days of eating differently starts to change your microbiome. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that there is an elimination diet dysbiosis that is does happen and is happening all the time to millions of people who are doing their best to try to fix themselves and unknowingly causing themselves further harm down the line. And a lot of time it's because they got into that, what I call the food safe zone. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to do an elimination diet, if you go carnivore, whatever, that's cool. Most of the time, everyone's going to try to get you to what I call the food safe zone, which is like, these are my foods. I feel safe on, this is my diet plan or my guru or my book I'm following and here's where, you know, I'm, I'm okay right now. And, and your symptoms hopefully go away. If not, then you're on the wrong elimination diet or mm-hmm. 
diet's not the answer for you in totality, you're going to need support supplements, which is actually often the case. But after, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, when you're in that food safe zone and you got your courage up, you've got some of that inflammation down, you got some of your, your symptoms knocked down, you really need to start thinking about adding back in foods that you want to eat because if it goes too long, you do risk starving out certain classes of bacteria and making it even harder to reintroduce foods later on. And I think that's the biggest issue is that there seems to be a correlation between the longer you're in a elimination diet to the harder it is to reintroduce those foods. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, part of it is exactly what I just mentioned. Um, you, you will grow a microbiome related to the diet you're eating. So if you're like, I don't know, let's say you go carnivore, you feel great. Things are going fine. And then you're like, man, you know, actually I got a, I got a craving for broccoli. That's that's not coffee. <laughs> that's not chocolate. That's not sugar. Yeah. That's like, maybe that's a healthy craving. Maybe my body wants something. So you're like, great. I'm going to make some broccoli tonight and reintroduce broccoli. But you eat like a, a like a truckload, like a oh, Lord. <laughs> no, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. React to that. Why? Yeah. Because your body has downregulated the enzymes that it uses to break down that food because it's been eight weeks or 12 weeks or even six weeks. Also, your microbiome has shrunk the part of your microbiome that will process that type of, of fiber and, and all the compounds in that food will have shrunk. And so if you're going to reintroduce foods, this is a huge error that a lot of people make. And if you take nothing else away from this talk, please do this. Reintroduce slowly over three days. So if you love broccoli, great. Plan on eating broccoli for like three days. And you start with like a quarter cup to a half cup of cooked broccoli on the day one. And then day two, you can double that amount. And maybe you have some for lunch and some for dinner. So maybe you have like a half cup for lunch and a half cup for dinner. And then on day three, go wild, whatever you want to eat. But at least give your body 24 to 48 hours to remember like, oh, right, we need like cellulase or we need like other enzymes to break this mm -hmm. down. Um, and your microbiome time to go, oh, cool, let's make more of these bugs. Let's let these bugs propagate and make more. And you, your food introductions will go way smoother and way faster if you slow down and, and go portion size to reintroduce. Yeah. Definitely. I think you're, I think you're right that some people, and I did that. I like last year in 2021, I decided I wanted to just try some seasonal vegetables. I was like, Oh, I'd love to do that. And you have to go super slow. And I also used the um, digestive enzymes in that process as well. And that was tremendously helpful, helpful, but you just, you have just a little bit, <laughs> you don't go crazy, but I'll tell you there are a couple of days that I did. I was just like, Oh, this just take for me not eating a vegetable for like two years, crazy, but you know, it helped me at the time. Um, yeah. vegetables actually tasted really like sweet. And I was like, what, this is bizarre. You know, they had a really, really sweet taste and they were like good. And so I did have a couple days where I ate too much of them and my stomach was like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. But what I did was I actually took enzymes systemically. So I would take them, on an empty stomach before bed or on an empty stomach the next morning and kind of, I didn't do extended fasting or anything like that, but I did maybe do like a 16 hour fast and, and just eliminate, you know, a meal there, take, cut off a cut off eating window a little earlier. And that actually helped tremendously. Cause I was, you know, with my history, with my gut, 
I would do something like that. I would eat kind of an offending food and it would literally be like three or four days that I just would feel absolutely terrible. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And and to your point, like if there's only one thing you could do, like if I only had one tool for someone with food sensitivities, it would be holozyme. Um, mm-hmm. It is the one universal tool. It's, you know, it works for you if you're carnivore, if you're vegan. Um, and it is enzymes are like a universal tool for helping to speed healing, to lower inflammation, to keep the gut breaking down foods. It can help you compensate for low stomach acid. It's not going to, you know, help your body make more acid, but it's at least going to break the food down and do more of the work that your stomach should have done. So if there was one, like, I don't know, um, like the only go-to product, like I could only use one for the rest of my career, it would be Holozymes for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I still have that one on auto ship. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I want to make sure I have that one in stock in case I need it. Um, got a bottle of HCL guard just in case I need it. But like I said, I haven't really needed that one. That's just something I did for about six months solid. And then I'm like, let me just see if I don't need this one anymore. Um, but I find a lot of people that even start a carnivore diet, and I know we've talked about this on other episodes before, but a lot of people that just are starting to eat more meat, that they haven't eaten the amount of meat that they're eating now, they end up with either constipation or with loose stools. And sometimes there's a gallbladder issue that needs to be addressed for sure. Like if there's nausea or floating stools or something like that also happening, I'm like, we got to address gallbladder. But a lot of times people just haven't been eating a lot of meat. And so they have low stomach acid going in and then their enzymatic function is a lot lower as well. So I think that, you know, the HCL guard and the holozyme can also be helpful if someone's trying to transition to just eating more animal protein. Would you say that? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I think, um, if, you know, whoever wrote the carnivore diet book, if it was Saladino or whatever, if he would have talked about stomach acid in that book or on a show, I think that there would have been a lot more success stories with carnivore. Not that there's not a lot of success stories. There are, but I think there's also a lot of suffering. uh, Yeah. I get messages daily still. I mean, still, and I'm not even like promoting huge amounts of carnivore material on my page. Um, I'm happy to support people because I've been, I've been through it and I've coached a ton of people through carnivore, but the amount of people that message me even still on a daily basis that say I'm doing carnivore, a lot of my other symptoms are gone. I'm feeling better. My eczema is gone. You know, my skin has cleared up. I feel better, but (laughs) now either I haven't gone to the bathroom in a week and I feel bad or everything that I eat is like running right through me. I'm just like, constantly having loose stools and that's creating a whole other set of problems. I'm like, yeah, cause we, you probably were not eating that much meat. Your body is like, what are we doing? Like I didn't get a memo from you that we were going to just change things, you know, overnight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That that's one of my favorite sayings is like, yeah. it's not like we write a memo to our gut <laughs> saying, Hey, on Monday we're switching our diet up. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, I think HCL guard for, for carnivore, like, I think there's quite a few reviews on our site talking about this, but it, it can be a real, uh, winning support product for the carnivore transition. Um, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, like you said, either their, their stomach forgot how to do stomach acid or mm-hmm. it's not prepared to make that much. 
it, you know, the list can be really long about why this is happening. But I think the truth is, is that a lot of more people than not get a lot of help from trying HDL guard with carnivore than vice versa. Yeah, definitely. Or even if you're just trying to eat more uh, meat, you know, if you've kind of been brainwashed for a long time, that red meat is the worst thing for you. And, um, you know, that that and you're trying to just eat more animal protein, I think that it can be helpful to just address the fact that if you haven't been eating a lot of meat for a long time, like me, I did vegan for a while. And then, like I said, I was just terrified to eat red meat because of that stupid food sensitivity test I did, <laughs> you know, that was useless. Then, yeah, you pro your, your body's just like, we don't, we, we don't have the necessary equipment to handle this, even as nutrient dense as it is and as good as it is for you, you just don't necessarily have that equipment. Yeah. And that, and that's the fundamental assumption that I think a lot of people don't, uh, inquire about, which is like, can my body handle even the most ideal diet? And yeah. a lot of times the answer is just no, like yeah. it's no for a thousand reasons. It could mm -hmm. be antibiotics, it could be stress, it could be hormones, it could be your age, it could be your sunlight exposure, it could be your sleep, it could be previous injuries, birth defects, who knows. But like mm -hmm. there's all the talk about the ideal diet and there's like thousands of diet books that have been written over the last hundred years. <laughs> yeah. And there's barely any books and any talks about, wait a second, even if I had the ideal diet, would my body be able to handle it? And right. I think that's the conversation that's not being had. I agree. And so many people have, I mean, I feel like leaky gut is just such a huge epidemic for so many different reasons. I mean, overuse of uh, medications, antibiotics, SSRIs, um, environmental toxins, uh, overconsumption of seed oils, all these things are absolutely wrecking our gut, you know, drinking water out of plastic and, and putting all of our food in plastic containers, all those things are contributing to this issue of leaky gut. And so, you know, most people at some point, even if you go carnivore are probably going to need to address the leaky gut. Cause I had to do that as well, especially in order for me to be able to, like I said, if I, if I'm going to my local farmer and he's got strawberries or he has cherries and I want to have a few, I don't, I don't want to have a bushel of them because ancestrally we never would have done that. But if I just want to have a few and not break out in hives all over my face, then I have to deal with the leaky gut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, it's possible for a leaky gut to heal on its own and mm. it just haven't seen it a lot in practice, unfortunately. Yeah. And so that's, that's the problem with like low stomach acid or mm -hmm. uh, leaky gut, even histamine related issues. You would think that if you just, you know, there's this theory that if you just remove the offending foods or the offending lifestyle factors or whatever, that like the body will, will heal itself. But the body's also, always calibrating to what's happening and what if it mm -hmm. forgot where to go like mm -hmm. you know we need a trainer to train us on how to do movements and sometimes being in the western lifestyle we forget how to walk and crawl and, and the right form that we actually were born with movements yeah yeah like our, as a baby as a as a you know under 10 year old you probably had great great movement patterns but mm -hmm. it's really easy to forget those <clears throat> yeah. due to the way that you live your life and it happened to me and I had to go through like two years of basically repatterning my, my nervous system and my body movements to just make myself more animal, more human again, uh, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous, but that's what had to happen. So why wouldn't that also happen for the body and the gut? 
Um, it's oh, yeah. just kind of silly to think that that wouldn't happen as well. Well, we're all really disconnected from nature, from circadian rhythms, from like I put up a post yesterday on my Instagram and I said uh, one of the problems that is leading to a lot of health issues is eating carbs out of season. And I don't know how many people asked me in the comments, what does it mean to eat a carb in season? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like people really had no idea what I meant by seasonal carbs. And I'm like, well because you understand certain things only grow at certain times of the year. In the wintertime, there is no carbohydrate. Like I, I was talking about earlier, you're not going to see me eating pineapple and banana in, in December because it doesn't grow and it doesn't even grow here in the summer where I live. I will eat that stuff if I like go to Costa Rica for a week. No, sure. But <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. That's what I mean. And I think people are just so largely disconnected from from nature, from how we're intended to be living, you know, with circadian rhythms. And I think that contributes as well to a lot of these issues for sure. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, there's one, one question in here. Well, not really a question. She says that PPIs are a major problem preventing, or I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but PPIs are a problem preventing them from switching over to carnivore, I guess, or more meat-based diet. Um, you've worked with a decent amount of people who are on PPIs and kind of helping them come off, what would you say to this person? Um, I mean, it's not a made, I mean, I guess it could be a major problem, but mm -hmm. there's, you can just Google PPI reduction schedule or PPI meaning schedule. Like there's, this has been published in many, many research papers over the last 10 to 15 years. There's health providers work with your doctor. If you, you know, if this is a prescription, you should probably work with the prescribing physician yeah. to taper off of it, but there's a taper schedule. And then, for not everyone, but a certain percentage of people, they'll have a rebound where your acid actually gets worse. And so you got to commit to that. You're going to have to feel some pain to get some gain. And that's what a lot of people don't want to go through is they're like, mm -hmm. well, I just want to keep living my life normally. And I don't want this to interrupt my, you know, my schedule. And right. I, I can appreciate that. And I hope that's the case for you. But for a lot of people, it's not the case. And they're going to have to push through some Mm -hmm. some tolerance issues. You might have to use some baking soda to knock down the acid. Um, but there are other people that are using, you can find practitioners that are using HCL guard in that taper protocol to help rebuild the acid and, and sort of make that work. So it's, it's totally a problem. Um, and it's totally, I think, fixable if you have the right person. Yeah, I think so too. And with anything, you know, I've been on all types of medications, but to come off of those things, it is not fun. It is not like usually an easy process. Quitting coffee was not an easy process for me, but it was a goal of mine because I was for preconception. I'm like, I don't want to be drinking caffeine and I don't want to have that in my body. So it's something that I did a long time ago. It wasn't fun. But once you kind of do that, <laughs> you do feel better. and There are benefits to coming off of those things. And some things like SSRIs, work with a doctor. Don't just try yeah. to come off of medications by yourself. I think that's a really important caveat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, especially the, the mental uh, prescriptions, um, PPIs though can be also really confusing and, and hard to taper for some individuals. Mm -hmm. So work with the prescribing physician or doctor uh, with a different health person who can say like, look, I've done this with a hundred other people. 
you're in good hands. If you go to yeah. them and they're like, well, I've only done this. Like you're like, Hey, can you get me this result? I'd like to get off my PPI. And they're like, well, I've only done it twice with like my thousand patients, then <laughs> fire them and go find <laughs> yeah. someone else who has done it. Definitely. Um, and there's plenty of people out there that can walk you through those, those things. Um, and if people are having problems ordering, uh, you can just email us at support at healthy gut. Um, we would never say it takes three to four months. Normally it takes three to four hours for us to get back to people, depending on if it's the weekend. Um, but we have a internal, uh, team goal to respond to all tickets and all calls within eight hours. So I don't think that was our company, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's a comment on there. I was like, huh, that doesn't sound about right. Um, cause I've never had an issue with anything and I've had it. I refer uh, most of my clients that are trying to start carnivore or people that are trying to do a more meat-based diet, I'm like, you're probably going to need these digestive supports or, or if they come to me when they're having the issues, I'm like, this is where I'm going to send you. And I mean, I would say most people that I've sent are just like, I love these products. These are awesome. And the cool thing that I always mention when we have one of these chats is that you guys have a support group that you get to join after you make the purchase. And there's health coaches in there that can walk you through like really specific issues that people might be having, like if, how much HCL do I take or how do I know that's too much or not enough? And how, you know, you help with the dosing because it is different for everyone. You know, you can't just tell someone just take one of these and, and you'll be fine. Like everyone needs a little bit of nuance with these things for them to be effective. So that's something I appreciate. And then I always appreciate the money back thing because I have had one or two people that are like, yeah, this just wasn't what I needed. They told me in the group that this wasn't what I needed. I sent it back. I got my money back. So I I always have to mention that because I think that's just great because I have a friggin' I'm moving right now and I'm about to throw away thousands of dollars worth of supplements I'm never going to use again. You know, it's like the supplement graveyard thing. Yeah, look, um, you know, not everybody has low stomach acid. Not everybody needs right. enzymes. Not everybody needs tributyrinx or holoimmune. And so I want to make sure that people feel comfortable enough trying something new, which can be scary enough. You know, you might need to find a doctor to work with a PPI reduction or something mm -hmm. like that. That's a, that's a lot of money and time. And so I want interacting with healthy gut to be as enjoyable as possible and as consumer friendly as possible, because as you mentioned, you can literally create the best drugs in the world, the best supplements in the world, and the dose will still crush your gains or crush your, your, your wins if you don't get it correct. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting that dosing is 50% is of, of the equation. And so that's why we invest very heavily into our team and into our health coaches to try to make sure that, um, that we can you know, support you as best we can. Um, you know, we're obviously not your doctor we're, we can't function in that capacity at all. Um, but when it comes to usage of our products, we try to give people as much, um, optionality and understanding about what the, what might work for them. And then if it doesn't work, you know, we have three to 5% of people that refer, you know, get their money back and that's totally fine with me. Yep. Absolutely. Well, cool. This has been a great conversation, hopefully helpful for anybody who, you know, might be struggling with food intolerances to understand you know, like the five things you were talking about that they may want to look at, may want to address. And uh, everything we talked about is going to be linked in the show notes for you guys. So just make sure to check those out. And uh, we'll probably be back next month with another healthy gut chat. <laughs> so thanks for being here, Steve. Yeah. Th thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for everybody for watching. And uh, hopefully it helps you with your food. You know, yeah, absolutely. All righty.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, especially if you made it this far. I really appreciate you for being here, being a fan of the show. Again, make sure that you head on over to Apple or Spotify. Leave me up to that five-star review so more people can hear this information. We want to keep spreading the word about these types of things to people so they can be more empowered about their health. And thank you again for listening. Make sure you check out all the links down in the show note, my quantum hydration webinar coming up next weekend, as well as all my courses. If you are looking to get started on your circadian lifestyle, quantum healing, all of those things and nutrition. And thank you again for Steve for coming on and talking with me. Check out all the links in the show notes for his products. If you are interested in trying any of them after you listen to this episode, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. I will talk with you again soon.